Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Happy Team Canada Day. Hey, David. Hockey is coming on, eh? Big week for Team Canada. Women's won the won the gold medal in a fantastic, thrilling performance. And then now we have... Uh, Announcement for all international hockey fans that the Olympic Games will include National Hockey League players and be the best on best tournament we have come to expect. Yeah, I'm I'm happy, Bruce. I you know if no, there was ever uh, if there was ever an ex- if you ever wanted to boycott a country, China would be high on the list right now. You know, with their list mm-hmm. of international mid- misdeeds, including what looks like a genocide situation with the Uyghur people it's ghastly what's going on in China yeah. at the same time I, I think it would be kind of honest like I'm I'm in the camp of keeping politics out of sports we go to sports to divorce ourselves from the real world you know to, to have a respite from from politics so I, and I think that's increasingly important and something to focus on uh, we need these places that are kind of just fun just a little bit of yeah. escape, escape from our daily life. So there's that. The other thing, this Bruce, about this thing for me at least is, if we want to get serious about China and their human rights record and their envi- environmental record, we should do it on those fronts. And you know, we can. There's things we can do with trade. There's things that we can do with diplomatically with China. And if we're serious about those issues, we will do those things. To me, to to boycott the Olympics without doing those other things is the mark of a non-serious people in a non-serious country. And it would be kind of virtue signaling without having virtue, without taking the real steps that we need to take with China. So for those reasons, plus I just want to see Connor McDavid on Team Canada in the Olympics, I, I, I'm i really, ha- I'm happy that, that, I'm okay that we're doing this and I'm happy that we're doing this. How, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are not all the countries, none of them have a spotless record. And uh, there's, you know, we need to set a better example on a number of fronts and, and uh, uh, before virtue signaling much of anything. But uh, anyways, it's, uh, uh, I thought both Olympics that, that uh, featured the boycotts in the 1980s uh, were much the poorer for those. And I'm not really sure how much got accomplished by the boycotts. You know, the, the Moscow Olympics in 1980 and then, of course, Los Angeles next Olympiad uh, were both, uh, you know, less than what they could have been just for that reason. There's just no there's no doubt about that. So let's move on to the happier topic of yeah. which Oilers might be. So today yeah, we're going to talk about, about which Oilers are going to be on the Olympic teams <laughs> and um, various Olympic teams. And we will also look at uh, the final top prospects on our list, which are uh, Philip Broberry, as they say in Sweden, um, uh, Evan Bouchard, and Dylan Holloway. Mm. Bruce, I don't know if the Oilers have ever had a three. I mean, when you have Connor McDavid, of course, on your list of top prospects, that kind of alters the list. But in terms right. of like uh, three, you know, ripe to overripe depth of outstanding prospect level talent this is the best the orders have had uh, since we've been doing these lists so we'll we'll get into that 
Bruce Darnell, you know, of course, Connor McDavid's going to be on the Olympic team. What do you think about Darnell Nurse's chances? What do you think his chances are? On the Canadian Olympic team? Well, I, I would I yeah. would suggest that would be the team he'll play yeah. for. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we have two two absolute slam dunks from the Oilers and uh, McDavid for Canada, of course, and, and Leon Dreisaitl for Germany. And I just wrote a post about uh, other Oilers that might have a shot, and there's three that I came up with, but Darnell Nurse is clearly the sort of leading candidate of the three. And I'm sort of nudging towards the 60-40 camp that he does make the team. Yeah. And it, it's... Um, uh, for all of them, I think it's dependent on how they play and how you know how other how other candidates play in the opening couple months of the season, up, leading up to the time they announce the roster. It's not like the World Junior where they they go to a camp and they compete directly against each other. They just play games, and uh, Brain Trust will make their choices based on that. And if Nurse carries on where he left off and uh, in 2021, uh, which where I left off was with an amazing 62-minute performance in Winnipeg. Let's remember that. I mean, he is a workhorse stud defenseman, um, of which you know there'll be several on Canada. But uh, I, I, I have him at you know a little above the 50-50 mark. It's the longest thing from a guarantee. There's some good players. I mean, you wrote a column about this over a year ago that I cited in my post, and you listed five left-shot defensemen in their mid to late 20s, kind of in the primes of their uh, of their respective careers that uh, uh, will uh, all be sort of vying for a spot. And let me just find them. Uh, Morgan Riley, 27. Shade Theodore, 26. Thomas Shabbat, 25. Darnell Nurse, 27, Josh Morrissey, 26. And that, that's the age that they will be in February when the puck drops for real in, uh, in Beijing. And so... Uh, and you I can agree. add a couple of names to that yeah. list now, right? Mm -hmm. Jacob yeah. Chikrin uh, had an outstanding season yeah, uh, in, in Arizona. Mm -hmm. um, let me just see here. I guess you could add his name. That's right. about in terms of players really in the running. Now, some people, I'm not sure, is there's Pulak and Pelik, Adam Pelik and um, Ryan Pulak. the righty. So Pelik, Pelik, he's a real good player. Now, both of those players are more. They're like Morrissey. They're more in the defensive defenseman camp. Mm -hmm. They're not big point producers, and I can't speak to their skating. Um, mm -hmm. I think that one of the things where Nurse might have a bit of an advantage is. He's a little different than those other defensemen. He's he's more of a rugged player. Um, he's really big and he skates well. That might be a factor in picking him. So I like I I think Devin Taves uh, of the Avs um, has also moved up. He put up he put up strong point scoring at even strength last year. Um, he he was uh, strong on the power play in Colorado as well. And um, got a lot of ice time. So a really good player in the prime of his career on a good team. He doesn't have a big name. Like he's, you know, Devin Taves isn't, you know, it's not Drew Doughty uh, mm -hmm. in terms of having a big name or Brent Burns even. But I think he will have a shot, especially if they if they want to go with pairs. Like they could go with Taves and McCarr, although I'd, I'm not sure if McCarr and Taves play together regularly in Colorado. 
I, I see Theodore and um, Peter Angelo from Vegas being together for right. this uh, for this thing. So you know, what's you could have Nurse and Latang, um, Nurse and um, um, who's the other Doughty could still make yeah. the team. You know, Doughty possible. Dougie Hamilton, of course, will be also in the running. Mm-hmm. So uh, on that right side. So but I wouldn't be surprised, though, to see Doughty on that team. And I know if he makes it, Bruce, there'll be a lot of people saying, why are they picking this guy? He's a declining player. But um, there's something to be said, I, I think, for having that veteran player who's been there. And, he's, and he has been there since 2010 on the Olympic team and played excellent hockey every time for team Canada. So if he, if he's, if he's getting major ice time in LA, um, I think he's got an outside shot of making the team as well. But yeah, I, I think nurse, if he, if he starts to replicate the numbers that we saw from him last year, he'll, I think he'll make this team. I'm yeah, going to well, go 75, 25. Thing about guys like Pelican Taves is they've never represented Canada on the international stage uh, as NHL players as pros at at the senior level. And I think that impacts on a couple of levels. Uh, One, Hockey Canada does like to go with what they know. Uh, But also, they like to go with guys that have experience. I mean, the international game is different, especially playing on the wide ice. I mean, uh, Darnell Nurse, in 2018 and 19, uh, he headed overseas and played in the uh, uh, World Championships. He's got 20 games of experience in those kind of situations. Uh, you know, Devin Taves has never played for Team Canada at every, any level. Adam Pellick uh, did at the junior level, played in one World Junior Championship. Uh, but uh, um, I think that's, you know, it's a mark certainly in in, uh, in Darnell's favor in that uh, in that contest. So, and as you say, because there's such depth on the right side, there may only be three lefties on Canada, but I'd be surprised if there was fewer than three. I'd be very surprised if they went with an all-righty pairing as a strategy. No, I think the new thinking in the NHL seems to be keeping players on their strong side. and Sticks on boards. Going, going with it that way. Are, they're playing on the Olympic size ice, are they not? Yes. They are. Okay. Uh, why wouldn't they? I don't know if they're going to have NHL refs. We'll see about that. Um, I doubt it. Okay. Well, I think Nurse will make it. I think Zach Hyman has an outside chance of making it, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we were first here on this podcast to make the Chris Kunitz to uh, Zach Hyman comparison, mm-hmm. if I'm not yeah. mistaken about that. And it, it's t- I hear it all over the place now. And, of course, Kunitz made the Olympic team f- infamously, but played very well in the end with Sidney Crosby. So uh, with that as a backdrop, and I think Ken Holland is on the committee to uh, help pick this team. Mm-hmm. So that will, he'll have a, he'll have someone going to bat for him. And if Hyman, I mean, Hyman has been a really strong, even strength point scorer the last yep. few years. He's, yep. he, they don't need a bunch of power players. Mm-hmm. Now the problem is he's not a great skater, but we've seen actually a lot of players who aren't great skaters do just fine on the big ice. Um, so, um, you know, uh, he'll have a real chance to make it if he can, if he blends well with Connor McDavid this year, he'll have a real chance yeah. to make it. Bruce, I'm so happy. Like, uh, like I just want to focus on this for one second. Connor McDavid has never played for team Canada at, you know, outside of junior hockey. This is his first, 
Well, no, he played in the Worlds, did he not? He played in the two, Worlds. Two times he played in the Worlds. He, was, but, uh, he won a gold medal the first time, and he uh, was the captain second time. So, he, you know, he's got yes. good experience there. As but best player. on best. He's never played in a best. We've never seen him in a best on best. It would have been, he is at his absolute height of his offensive ability, and it would have been a major bummer for them to miss for him to miss out like in this in this part of his career to miss out on a best on best competition um he played for that i i just hated it i didn't even watch the the finals of the world cup with because mcdavid wasn't on the team he should have been at the last mm-hmm. world cup it just totally soured the experience more for you. it was a terrible freaking idea whoever came up with it it was a terrible idea in my opinion i know some people liked it i thought it was a terrible idea that team north america at least not have not not allowing at least you know the best players from Team North America to play on Team Canada. If they couldn't have made it and played on Team North America, I would have been okay with that. But to not have Connor McDavid on that team was 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 embittering for me, as you can tell. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm just thrilled to see Connor McDavid on Team Canada. It's 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 what I want to see as much as almost as much as anything, almost as much as the Oilers winning the cup or it's right up there. It, it competes right. for that because I remember Gretzky and Lemieux on team Canada. It is the, uh, it is in some ways the most unforgettable hockey they will, a player will ever play is these best on best competitions. The, the idea of, uh, of um, McDavid and Sidney Crosby on the same team brings back very happy memories of Wayne Mario on that 87. Canada Cup team, now doesn't it? And not that uh, Connor and Sid are likely to wind up on the same line, but I would suggest they're very, very likely to wind up on the team. Well, um, they might, eh? Make Crosby at center, McDavid on the wing, uh, with Hyman on the other wing. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> see. I can think of a few guys they might put on the other wing if they're going to build a high-powered line like that. But uh, yeah, they. Uh, uh, it will be fun. It will be tough. They have a, um, the Oilers play on February second uh, in uh, Washington, twelve hours away from Beijing. The maximum, whether they fly east or west, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's basically the same distance. Uh, the the Beijing tournament goes from February fourth to twentieth, and then the Oilers' next date is on February twenty third in Tampa, again in the East time zone with another twelve hour. Uh, time time lag, uh, jet lag, um, potentially for the guys that make that trip. That's going to be a real tough regimen. Maybe they'll give McDavid a, a day or two, like at either end of this thing. Maybe they'll he'll miss a couple games. Like, wouldn't be the end of the world, Bruce, for that to happen. Bruce, and and as for Hyman playing with uh, Crosby and um, uh, McDavid, who played with Lemieux and uh, Gretzky? Well, I remember Howard Chuck setting up that goal in the in the uh, in the last uh, one twenty six to play in the last game. But, I, uh, I think it was Brian Prop mm-hmm. who took the regular shift. If I'm not mistaken, you can people okay. can fact check me on that. But my my okay. recollection is Brian Prop <laughs> played with, and Brian Prop was a really good hockey player. He's he has Wasn't a higher profile than Zach Hyman. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, you don't have to be uh, you don't have to have three superstars, is what I'm right at this point. Yeah, dry sidle. So I, they're good. I wonder what the score. Okay, what's your prediction? Team Canada versus Team China. If they're in the same group, they are. Uh, they are in the same group. Yeah, USA. Oh, wow. 
China, Canada, and one other team that I can't recall right now. Oh, wow. Germany. Okay. Germany. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, Deutschland. Oh, cool. So, so Leon gets Reitzel. to play against Canada and the U.S. Yeah, that's right. That's okay, I'll predict, I'll predict Germany has a one and two record in the round robin. <laughs> and they may really have to lay, Germany may have to put the wood to China because they may need goal differential to get into, I'm assuming it's a final eight. There's three groups of four. So there's only three yeah. round robin games and then there'll be three sudden death games and that'll be that. So uh, Canada can beat China by almost any score they want to. And I think they won't want to pound them into fine dust. I think they'll just be happy to shut them out, you know, 10, 12, nothing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm predicting 39, nothing. All right. Um, Bruce, there's been a couple big contracts. Let's move on. Let's a uh, oh. couple big contracts here. Oh, wow. In the yeah. last few days, the Joel Farabee contract and the Drake Batheson contract, both Six-year contracts, $30 million for young players who have been scoring pretty much the same rate in the mm -hmm. same number of games as Kyler Yamamoto of the Edmonton Oilers. Mm -hmm. So what does this mean, if anything, for Kyler Yamamoto's current contract negotiation, do you think? Uh, I, I don't think the Oilers have any capacity or are really interested in going there. Uh, they have, um, uh, I think, the better comparable in terms of the actual contract they might be discussing is the one Casey Middlestaff just signed in Buffalo, half the turn, half the cap hit, three years, a two and a half million dollar bridge deal. Yeah, that'll take him to one year before his unrestricted free agency would kick in. Whereas these guys are being paid beyond, you know, into their UFA years. Uh, the other two guys. Uh, Farabee and Batherson. And I look at both guys and I go, geez, have they really proved enough to be, you know, worthy of six-year deals? I mean, this is the same kind of deals Edmonton was giving to uh, guys like Taylor Hall, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Jordan Everly back in the day. And uh, I guess the teams would know that better than, than a fan watching at a distance. I've always liked Batherson, for instance, as a player, but I'm a little bit surprised to see that kind of money being thrown out, thirty million bucks. Yeah, these That's are a bit of a shock. these are kind of iffy deals, and I, and I note that even the Middlestead deal is a little high, I think, from what Yamamoto might get. The, the difference being, these are all players on different pay structures because they're weaker teams. They've got more money to th you know throw around at weaker players, iffier players oh. than the Oilers. They are weaker teams, much weaker than the Oilers, I think. The Oilers. The, the, oh. If Yamamoto, if Kyler Yamamoto wants to stay with the Oilers, he's got to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And one of that is he's going to have to, in in the short term, like maybe he just signs a one-year deal and then he has That's more fun. negotiation rights last time, next time around. But, um, you know, he, the Oilers won't be able to, here's the reality, the Oilers with all these big contracts aren't going to be able to afford a lot of big contracts for other players. Mm -hmm. And you're really going to have to earn it as a young guy. You're going to have to step up and perform well uh, consistently in a top six role. Yamamoto, I, I love his defensive play. He didn't he didn't come through offensively last year, right. and um, that's got to factor into this contract. It precludes, I think, a longer term deal unless it's going to be for a little less money. If he wants to get the security of a longer deal, he's going to have to take less money based on his scoring last season. So, I, I think the the play for Yamamoto is to sign a one year deal. 
Um, and you know, just essentially you're gonna have to take what they give you on that one year deal and, um, see if he can get more, see if he can perform this year at a higher level and then try to cash in on that. And if not, another team will step up with an offer sheet. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's how I see it. I mean, and I just think players have to make up their minds. Do they want to be on this Edmonton owners team? They want to go on this ride for the next two or three years, four years with McDavid and Dreisaitl. If they do, it's probably going to um, cost them in terms of salary somewhat. If they don't, then they can try to force a trade out of town. And, and you know, it's not like I, I like Kyler Yamamoto, but the Oilers have lots of young wing prospects, including a couple in Tyler Benson, Cooper Marodi, and Dylan Holloway, who are probably ready to play this year. Now, um, they... They're, they're natural left side guys, but the owners can shift things around and mm-hmm. they can move Hyman to the other wing, for instance. Yeah, sure can. And um, so that changes things for Kyler Yamamoto. He's in competition with Marodi, Benson, and Holloway. All players who can easily score what Kyler Yamamoto did at even strength last year. So um, it's time. I think it's time for the owners to be really hard headed on this and uh, and get get a team get a team friendly deal. Well, I've got the negotiating hammer for sure. And the question is, you know, it's going to bring, it's either a one-year real cheap deal or a two- or three-year bridge deal with the, you know, the price tag going up depending on the length of that deal. I don't see anything in the six-year range just even being possible at this point in time. And uh, the thing with uh, Farabee, his contract, his new contract doesn't even kick in until next year. This would be like Yamamoto negotiating a big extension last summer. Very smart from the Oilers' perspective. They didn't do that because they would have been paying him off a very, very high platform season and been extremely optimistic about the player. And now I think there's a, a more balanced view of, of uh, uh, what he's capable of. And I mean, I think it's it, it's incumbent on both sides to let the guy prove himself a little bit more before making the, the big, deep, long-term commitment. And for you know, for a team like Ottawa or Philadelphia, getting those getting those six years, I mean, they may be looking at saying, well, if we give them a bridge deal, they're really going to be expensive in three years, just when we're trying to contend. And the Oilers are saying, well, we want to contend now, so we can't afford to be paying the guy based on what we think he's going to be worth six years from now. We want to get him what he's worth now. So it's a, just a different mindset, I think, from uh, management. And then there's uh, just the cold, hard facts of what they have available in cap space, which is not a lot. <clears throat> yeah. The Flyers for forwards under the age of 25 right now, as far as I can tell, are, there's one other guy with a lot of potential, and that's um, uh, Travis Konechny. Mm-hmm. Other than that, Bruce, um, their yeah. cupboard's bare. So he's in a slightly different position on his team than uh, Yamamoto is on the Oilers. And he had yeah. a big year, David. He scored 20 goals in a, in a two-thirds NHL season, age 20. He, he made the league at 19, and in the second year, he scored 20 goals in two-thirds of a season. I mean, he's. Uh, I mean, there's there's a reason that they're paying the guy. I think you know he certainly showed very good potential. We'll see how he does this year because they're they're already, as I said, paying him through next year. And if he has a bit of a slide this year, paying description, then they might be questioning that. On the other hand, maybe he breaks out and scores 35 this year, and then they're thinking that's a good bargain for us for years to come. 
Well, what's going to break our hearts is Yamamoto will have a breakout year and, you know, get 60, 70 points and the Oilers mm-hmm. won't be able to afford him, which is, this This is, you know, this yeah. could easily happen now, right, with a lot of these younger players. So it's good that the farm system is full of good young players. Bruce, let's yeah. quickly move to the farm system. Um, mm-hmm. Let's start with um, Dylan Holloway. Sure. He's he's on uh, he's this is the top three these are top prospects. Do you think you know people are pretty familiar with his game right now and we we did we've talked about him recently. Do you think he can make the Oilers? Uh, I, well, I think it's possible, but I'd be very surprised if he made them out of camp. I think he's a guy that will go down and and do his reps at the minor pro level and get a recall to the Oilers. And whether that's a month into the season or second year of his career, you know, that's it's too soon to confidently make that call. Uh, I think it's very possible he'll get NHL games this year. And it may just be a matter of how, you know, how do the injury guards uh, uh, have their say? Because uh, he'll be on the recall list for sure. And when he gets his chance, if he seizes the day, He's here, you know. It's 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 a matter of uh, is he going to be uh, uh, ready to do that right off the bat? But uh, he's certainly a, a a very tantalizing prospect. If if Yamamoto's not there in, in camp, and I, and I'm you know I don't see there's any indication that won't happen. But um, yeah, players like Holloway and Benson and and Marodi have a much better chance. Um, Holloway is a Fantastic skater. I mean, we, we dug into this last podcast because um, mm-hmm. he got a kind of a lukewarm review from uh, the athletic, from Corey Promen of the athletic. So we, we talked about him then, but you know, what he brings is, is uh, great speed, size and intensity and some amount of skill. And that's what we don't know is how much skill right. is going to be there in terms of making plays. But uh, there's an, there's enough of those other things where he could be a top line player, second line winger or a, um, or a th- first line winger or the three C spot. And that is in the, in the core 12, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the, yep. there's seven forward spots in the core 12 and you know, the top six forwards on the top two lines and the third line center Holloway could eventually be that guy. So uh, yeah, I'm just really, I'm really looking forward to seeing him play. I think, I think he's going to surprise, like it's going to be, his amount, the, the amount of speed he brings to the game and, and that the forechecking hustle, the owners are going to take a look at that and think, man, maybe we want that on our team. Maybe we want that now on our team. Be, it, it could be an irresistible package for them to uh, turn down. And I think defensively, you know, which is a big question for all young players, uh, can they hold their own? Well, if he's on the wing again, I don't, you know, the reads aren't as difficult. The responsibility isn't as great. I think he could... He's, he he was a strong defensive player in college hockey at, at center, so I think he can be just fine mm-hmm. on the wing at the NHL level. So I actually think it's more of a coin flip um, whether he makes the team right at a camp. I think there's a there's a real chance. Good faceoff man too. Eh? His, uh, his, his rep in college is uh, very good on the on the dot. So he uh, he's um, uh, because he's a two pronged player that can play center or wing. I'm very confident in projecting him as a future Oiler because the team has needs uh, at depth, depth at center. Obviously, the top two is well looked after. Well, even then, sometimes they stack those two together. Uh, 
uh, the team, I mean, last last year they were weak on left wing. They've obviously dealt with that with the additions of uh, Hyman and Fogel, but they've got uh, you know still need for uh, for good players on uh, both the court side and down the middle. And I think Holloway's chances of making one or the other or being a swing guy is great. I mean, ideally, you know, I mean, every time they they pair up uh, Drysaddle and McDavid, some other forward has to make the switch from wing to center, and that's been Nugent Hopkins until now. But uh, the more guys you have who can do that, the better, the more flexible your team is and your coach can be. Philip Broberry, Bruce, Mm. what's your take on him? Oh, yeah. Uh, I've Brovery and, and uh, Holloway. One thing they have in common, unfortunately, is that both were dealing with uh, injuries on more than one occasion in uh, 2021. Uh, and that would be my last comment on Holloway. Is that that's my my concern? Is he got banged up and and uh, it affected his performance at the World Junior, according to most people. And then of course he. He got hurt at the end of the college season and was not able to join Bakersfield and play any games at the end of the season. So that hurt his development. Uh, and Brovery had similar issues where he came to the World Junior, but he wasn't able to perform at his best because he had two different injuries and then went back to Sweden and had a very, I would say, desultory second half of the campaign there where they said he was better physically and back playing within a couple of weeks, but his his game never seemed to come around, and his his coach gradually moved him down the lineup. So he's, uh, I mean, he's got lots in common with Oscar Kleffbaum. His career development at this point is similar to Kleffbaum's. Kleffbaum stayed and played in Sweden for two years, got hurt in the second year, uh, wound up being you know a pretty good good player in time, but he had to spend. Uh, a season, most of one season and part of a second in Oklahoma City at that time. And I think it's reasonable to project that Brober is going to be spending most of this upcoming season in the uh, in the uh, top level uh, minor leagues. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It takes no, longer for defensemen. Defensemen is it is the it is the other thing, maybe goalie. It's the hardest position to master. Uh, center is mm-hmm. really hard, uh, but defense. To the, the reads the defensemen have to make in the D zone and the um, and the um, you know all over the ice, just the split second judgments that they make. If they make the wrong decision, bam, they are punished, and they are punished yeah. not in a way that a forward is, because there's four other guys often behind the forward who misses his check. The defenseman's often the last guy, or it's a two on one because of him. And so you just can't make those mistakes. And it takes players sometimes a little while to figure out how not to make them. Mm-hmm. I'm 58 years old playing in a men's league at the lowest level of competition. And I make the four or five a game where I just completely out of position all of a sudden. It is so easy. And then you just feel terrible because then it's a two on one. Anyway, it's it's much worse for um, it's much worse for these NHL players. And so what I saw in Sweden this year was a player who at times would dominate games with his size, mm-hmm. his skating, his puck handling, mm-hmm. rushing the puck. I mean, he's, there's there's games where I thought, oh, my God, this is the second coming of Serge Savard. Mm-hmm. And then there was other games, Bruce, where he was giving away the puck. He was tentative. 
he wouldn't rush the puck. He wasn't making plays. Right. So, and he just looked like, you know, oh, oh my goodness, this is a this is a blown draft pick. So <laughs> somewhere in between there is probably where he ends up. And but the things that make me think he can be a top four NHL defenseman are many: his size and his skating agility, and his puck handling ability at the top of those lists. And when he starts to think and read the game you know, as an older, more mature defenseman will do as he, you know, in one or two or three years, mm-hmm. he's going to be really good for the Oilers. That's still what I think. And I know there's still a lot of um, angst and uh, about where he was drafted ahead of certain yep. players, yep. you know, fair enough, but the Oilers, you really do to win in the NHL. You need some, you need some really good defensemen and you need to develop them on your own. Apparently it's really hard to sign them as UFAs. They're not always going to come to Edmonton, for instance, so the Oilers are doing that with Evan Bouchard and Philip Broberry. I think they had the right idea, and I think they've got two of the right players. Like there's other players you could take then, other D-men you could take then. But I think it was a good idea to take D-men and to have these guys coming up right now. They're going to be ready. Evan Bouchard's going to be ready this year in the Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl era. <laughs> Philip Broberry in as this goes along, and they and they and they can't keep somebody right. Let's say they right. can't. Because let's say Evan Bouchard wants too much money or, or you know, or, or whatever happens. Um, they're going to need a constant flow of really good players. He's mm-hmm. going to be one of them. I like this player a lot. And I'm, I'm, I'm still good with that draft pick. As, and I know other people aren't. And that's, that's fair too. Like I get that position. I'd settle for the second coming of Miro Haskin and myself. I mean, that's that's a, that's a guy who he reminds me of when he's oh, at really? his best in terms of his ability to to you know his, his, to impose his physical size and skill on the game in all three zones. Wow. He's got he's got that uh, capacity at his best, but he's very erratic, and I I wonder how much his you know like. He, he was drafted as a high-end talent who had lots of uh, refinements needed in his game, and I wonder how much progress he's made in the two years since he was drafted. Uh, in a large sense, I'm happy that uh, the Oilers will be assuming uh, some degree of control over that, uh, which I w- is not something I would necessarily have said in the past, but I like the tandem of Jay Woodcroft and uh, uh, and um, Dave Manson in the minor leagues as as the coaching staff. Dave Manson is getting a very good rep for his work with the young defensemen down there, and uh, Brobery will be under his uh, watch going forward. And so he's got um, uh, the you know the organization now is not in the case of well we'll leave him with his team in Sweden and hope they do the right thing and you know they have their own interests at heart and their own interests top of the list at the minor league uh, level is to do um, uh, develop players for the NHL and so he's going to be a very very high priority for that coach coaching staff. Yeah, there's not a there's not a higher priority. Uh, that looks like to be heading to that team this year, unless Holloway is heading there. Like so, so those two players are kind of tied. Yep. So the <coughs> excuse me. On that team, on the left side, we have Marcus Niemelainen, uh, Philip Broberry, and maybe William Logginson, if he clears waivers. 
I think he probably would clear waivers um, if they send him at the right moment. And on the other side, they have probably Philip Berryland, Mike Kesselring, Dmitry Samarukov, Phil Kemp, Vinny DeHarnay. They're stacked on the right side. They got a lot of guys on the right side there um, already. Now, Samarukov may play on the left side. Of, he's actually likely to play on the left side. So mm-hmm. if you have Lagos and Broberry and, and Samarukov on the left side, where you know, that's too much like Nemo Linen, where's he gonna is he gonna play yeah. on? I mean yeah. maybe you know I don't know what's gonna happen with Lagos and it's almost like they've got to decide mm-hmm. uh, trade him if 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 he's not gonna make the orders because you know you start to get in the in a place where you're actually blocking other players. Right. Like like Nima Linen. And maybe mm-hmm. that's okay. You know. Well yeah he's Lagosin's going into his draft plus eight season uh, maybe it's time for him to make the step up and actually seize his spot on the NHL <laughs> well he's in tough it's nurse yeah. Keith Chris Russell Slater Cuckoo mm-hmm. William Lagosin there's five yeah. guys so right. you know that's a lot of competition for him all right Evan Bouchard Bruce mm-hmm. um I'm gonna say in retrospect, the biggest mistake the Oilers made last year was not finding a way to get Evan Bouchard in the lineup. He was clearly ready for NHL duty. He he would have helped them in the playoffs, I think. He, he might have scored a, a key goal in the playoffs when that team really needed one. And um, he's going to play this year, obviously. They they didn't clear out. They were, they were going to clear out a veteran right shot demon one way or another. They, they ended up keeping I think they envisioned Tyson Berry moving on and keeping Adam Larson but it turned out Adam Larson decided to go so they've kept Barry they brought in CC and Evan Bouchard's going to get his chance I'm delighted with that I think he's a fantastic offensive hockey player probably he I think he's got a higher end on the attack than Tyson Berry does mm-hmm. I think he's got a better shot he's a better passer and he reads the game better um, than Tyson Berry on the attack, which is saying a lot because I think Tyson Berry is just a really fine offensive attacker and puck mover. Yep. But I think Bouchard, um, I like, I love his hockey IQ. I love his reads, mm-hmm. and, uh, his calmness with the puck. Uh, just really impresses me. So I can't wait to see him uh, get his chance in the NHL. He, he, he's not a rookie, eh? Because otherwise he'd be yeah. in, he'd be in the running for rookie of the year. But um, yeah, because he played seven seven games uh, on a tryout one year before uh, he was even under, you know, officially under NHL contract. Um, the archaic rules of the NHL, which were established in the 1940s or 50s about the uh, Calder Trophy eligibility, back when the amateur tryout maximum was five games, so they set the limit of six as being a, a player. Well, now the amateur tryout is nine games. They really should upgrade it to ten. Uh, to count as an NHL season against the guy's record, uh, but for that reason, he and many other players get screwed on the, on their eligibility for the Calder Trophy, the All Rookie Team, and and so on. Uh, he's played under 25 games. To me, he's he's still uh, uh, very close to being uh, an NHL rookie. Uh, he does have some experience. He got some good experience last year playing in in Sweden. Uh, uh, for a you know significant part of the season, and then time in Edmonton, uh, lots of practice time with with the club, but just uh, didn't get that many games in because the three right hand shot defensemen ahead of him 
were all healthy with the exception of that one month that Ethan Bear was hurt, and that's when Bouchard did get to play, and he looked, I thought, pretty good. I I really liked him. I, I mm-hmm. thought he was coming along just fine, and I was not happy mm-hmm. when it went out of the lineup. So, you know, I can understand they needed to play Ethan Bear. And in the end, mm-hmm. you know, um, Ethan Bear had a lot of value as a trade chip. Um, Warren Fogel was a player that a lot of teams wanted. And he's a, you know, they, they, the Oilers got a possible top six, definitely third line winger in Fogel right. for Ethan Bear. So um, they got high value there for that player. Mm-hmm. Let's just quickly, Bruce, uh, finish off with um, the NHL brought out their COVID rules yesterday. And um, I'll just, the, the key part of it is there's some ability to suspend a player if he gets COVID, if he's unvaccinated and he gets COVID to suspend him. But I think the real uh, message for the players here is get vaccinated in no uncertain terms. And, and it's spelled out by the rules. The incentive to get vaccinated is huge because you know, and some people will will say this is coercion, you know, having such such uh, rules. But here they are. This is from Elliot Friedman's description of the rules. And he says, there are stiff rules for unvaccinated players. On the road, they cannot enter internal venues other than the team hotel, practice facility, or game arena. They are not allowed to use the hotel gym, pool, sauna, steam room, or other shared facilities. They are not allowed to have teammates, team staff, or visitors inside their hotel room with the exception of fully vaccinated family. They are not allowed to leave the hotel to eat or purchase food or use any restaurant bars in or out of the hotel that are open to the public. They can't pick up food except where the restaurant provides curbside pickup uh, that, that, that does not require entrance to the main restaurant. They're essentially in prison on the road, Bruce, confined to their room without any friends. It's, you know, except, you know, for team events, team meetings, you know, for team stuff. So this is um, what they were living under last year. It's extremely harsh and difficult. Um, it, it is coercion Mm -hmm. to get vaccinated i think it's fair to say that but the nhl and the nhlpa interestingly they've got to sign off on this i believe they think that that given the stakes of this big money operation big Mm -hmm. money entertainment venture venture they've made the decision that this kind of coercion is um a fair trade-off for the players in terms of um you know what they get back in terms of salary and what the NHL needs in terms of their performance, in terms of salary. So I'm okay with the with this coercion. I think um, the the, un- the players have signed off on it. Their union has signed off on it. The league wants it. Um, and I think I I don't know. Uh, we don't know the vaccination status of Oiler players. Right. Um, I'm guessing that almost all of them, if not all of them, on the Oilers are vaccinated just a sense I have of this team and this group of players. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just a guess though. What do you think of the whole? Yeah, well, I think that, yeah, I mean, the players will, will be putting a little bit of uh, of um, pressure on each other to get vaccinated so they can fully participate in things as a team. I mean, teams can suspend unvaccinated players who are unable to participate in club activities whether it's due to a positive case or the inability to travel due to government restrictions. So, and they'll be fined. They'll they'll lose a day's pay for each day they miss. So the league will make 
exceptions for players with valid religious reasons or medical excuses. That's a reason they can't take the vaccine. Um, certainly we have uh, a pretty strong case can be built now on statistics of uh, those people who are hospitalized or worse, uh, who are, you know, what percent they are vaccinated, especially doubly vaccinated versus unvaccinated individuals. That uh, it's the latter that are much more susceptible to COVID. And we don't have to look any further than Edmonton, David, and the, and the recent disaster that befell the Edmonton Elks football club, where they had uh, um, uh, a bad case uh, outbreak within the team that I think affected up to 14 players at one point. And they had to uh, they had to postpone a game, reschedule it later in the season at a very difficult time. Uh, they're going to be playing three games in seven days. I can imagine the football. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I kind of put the put the team, uh, the league in a bad light. And it was a situation that uh, that was probably avoidable. And so the NHL is looking at cases like that and cases, cases in broader society as a whole. I mean, if you look at the uh, restrictions that have just come down in Ontario, uh, where, uh, you know, the 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 how how open society is for vaccinated people versus unvaccinated or how open it will be when these uh, when these new rules come into play and it's simply them responding to the data at our disposal as to you know what's what's causing spread and where uh, you know how it's being uh, uh how it's being contained and you know the experts in business and government and, and sports now are concluding that the best way to contain it is vaccinated and the people that are vaccinated uh, should have a little bit more more freedom to do. And I talk about it being about freedom, you want freedom, get vaccinated. I think yeah, no, I can, the information is clear. You know, to, to, if you were to put yourself in the position of an NHL player though, you, you know, you could see someone saying, well, I'm in my twenties. Like, you, you, you know, there is a huge risk for older people. An NHL player might think I have very little personal risk from this. My personal health decision is I don't need the vaccine personally, right. but, um, and, and Bruce, based on the numbers and the data for people that age, that's not a crazy position for, for a younger person to take. Like, I'm not like, I'm not, I've taken the vaccine, I'm double vaccinated, but I can see other people making other health decisions based on their own situation. And I wouldn't, I'm gonna leave that to them. That said, this is this is a, a big money venture that depends on people yep. being ready to play. And that's why the union has signed off on this. That's why the NHL has brought this in. They're, they're existing within a society which has the need as a group we need to, people to get vaccinated so that's the context of all of this so in that in that situation the the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one the nhl and the nhlpa have decided and it's their decision to make and mm -hmm. on that level i i support their freedom to make it their ability to make that decision i think they, that they've they've probably made the right one here bruce i gotta run right. so um I'll just add that any demographic, even 20s, uh, unvaccinated are much more susceptible than vaccinated. And there are other outcomes besides uh, uh, death and hospitalization to take into account. A case of myocarditis could be a career ender 
for 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 an athlete. Yes, and we saw uh, long we did see COVID Marco and Rossi and sure, but again, to me, that's anyway. Let's, let's right. just leave it there. All right, Bruce, thanks for talking today. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.